This podcast has been brought to you by GM Moving, part of Greater Sports. We're here to help the people of Greater Manchester get moving and to improve lives through physical activity. Eve Holt, Strategic Director at GM Moving. Welcome to the last episode of our Keep GM Moving podcast series. I hope you've enjoyed our COVID conversations as much as I have. We're finishing the series of a really important conversation exploring what we can do to tackle racism in sports and physical activity and enable our Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities in Greater Manchester to live more active lives, bridging the gap in activity levels between ethnicities which currently contribute to huge health inequalities. For this conversation, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by two of our Greater Sport trustees, Paula Dunn and Sanjay Bandari. Paula Dunn, formerly Thomas, is well known as a former sprinter who represented Great Britain in the 100 metres, 200 metres and 100 metres relay, achieving five Commonwealth Games medals. Paula grew up in Manchester and trained at the Trafford Athletics Club just down the road from me in Stratford. Paula is now the Paralympic head coach at British Athletics, making her the first female para-athletics head coach and the first BAME head coach, having been employed by British Athletics since 2001, after 16 years working for Manchester City Council. In 2019, Paula Dunn was awarded an MBE for her services to athletics. She joined the Great Sport Board to improve the sport, health and well-being for all communities. I've really enjoyed her expertise and her down-to-earth approach as a member of our board. Sanjay holds a number of advisor, trustee and board roles to include his role on the Great Sport Board and being a chair of the football anti-discrimination charity Kick It Out. His background in professional services as a lawyer and then consultant included a time being actively involved in EY's diversity and inclusion strategies, sponsoring and leading many of their award-winning race and ethnicity activities. He's a member of the government-backed Park Review on Ethnicity and UK Boards. Sanjay joined the Great Spot Board to make a difference to people's lives, having personally seen the value of exercise and physical activity when dealing with anxiety. So, over to them. Thank you both for joining me um, today for today's podcast. And obviously, I know both of you as trustees at Greater Sport, but you have a whole life and a whole lot of work that you do outside of that role. So it'd be great to hear a bit more about you, about um, your roles, as well as your relationship to Greater Sport. So over to you first, Paula. Hello. Um, so my name is Paula Dunn. As you say, I am a trustee on the Greater Sport Board and I have been for nearly six years. My day job, I am the head coach of the Para-Athletics Programme um, and employed by British Athletics and now currently getting ready for Tokyo next year, which is obviously delayed due to um, the pandemic. So that's me. And, uh, and I'm Sanjay Bandari. I'm also a trustee of Greater Sport, so not, not as experienced as Paula. I've only been on the board for about a year. I, I had a sort of 30-year career in professional services, law, technology, compliance, innovation. But I sort of retired from that last year and I have a portfolio career, uh, a bunch of other things I do. Most of the last year I've been taking off and doing charity work. So one of the other charities I'm heavily involved with is Kick It Out. I'm the chair of Kick It Out, which is football's leading anti-discrimination charity and tackling discrimination and promoting inclusion. So I really wanted to talk today about tackling racism within sport and physical activity um, and also broadly about how we help 
prevent a widening of the gap and in fact close the gap um, in terms of the current difference there is in activity levels between ethnicities um, which really results in such huge um, health inequalities as have been very starkly highlighted and amplified during COVID. So we know that those of South Asian or black ethnicities are reported to be less active than other ethnicities um, and there are larger gaps for some than for others as well as all the other intersecting barriers to physical activity you know be that gender to your class or socioeconomic background you know a disability sexuality all of which of course layer on to create these huge barriers don't they to, to being active and as well as that there are these bias and, and racism within within the physical activity sector which continue to prevail and we have to be very honest don't we about the challenge we've got to tackle that so coming to you first, Sanjay, can you just tell us a little bit about why tackling racism in sport physical activity is important to you and how you've been involved in seeking to bring about change? Yeah, so w- why is it important to me? I suppose uh, at a very simple practical level, I'm chairman of Kicking Out and so <laughs> as, as for that, you know, the, the, the objective of that charity is to eradicate discrimination and racism from football and has been around for a very long time. Uh, I suppose more personally, I'm a massive football fan and have been for 46 years and I've been going to football for 30 plus years. And so I've seen changes in football in particular uh, and sport in more general. But uh, as an example, I mean, I'll see now many more people that look like me watching a game but I don't see anyone that looks like me on a pitch. I see lots of black people on a pitch. There'll be lots of black players, but I don't see them in a dugout. And then when I when I go into a boardroom, I don't see anyone, really. It's all mostly white and male. So it's important to me personally because I'm a big sports fan and I'm a big, big football fan. And so wanting to, to see a game that represents the community at large is important to me and some of these inequalities are systemic and have been there for 40 plus years so the white male boardrooms absence of you know complete invisibility of Asians uh, and the absence of black coaches those those are persistent despite all the improvements those have been there for for 40 years Uh, and and I suppose in in physical activity it's important because uh, coming from a South Asian background actually physical activity was was never prized as a as a child when I was growing up not something that we were really encouraged to do from a family background but I found particularly from a personal perspective dealing with mental health issues and addiction issues that physical activity was a key part of my recovery from things like that and so they became a it became a really important thing for me to do personally and I can see that I can see the value of it and so in terms of what I've, I've been involved in well really a lot of that particularly around kicking out been working with the FA very much over the last few weeks on their equality in football leadership voluntary code that we're aiming to launch in early October and that's taking up quite a lot of quite a lot of time at the moment because that that is about how we set targets for better representation in coaching and senior leadership in the game. So that's probably the the biggest, most high profile thing that we've been involved in over the last few weeks. So we talk a lot, don't we, about you can't you can't be what you can't see. Um, so what you've suggested there, Sanjay, is some of the progress in terms of maybe who's watching or appreciating and being participating in sport, but certainly we need more progress when it comes to who we see in the boardroom and who we see on the pitch and in other spaces. So Paula. Absolutely. I remember watching you uh, as an athlete, as a, a black woman, you know, I remember that distinctly um, growing up. 
So, you know, you've certainly been a huge role model, I'm sure, for lots of people out there. So can you share for you why tackling racism in sport and public activity, why is it important to you? And again, you know, as well as being a role model, the other ways that you've been involved um, in seeking to bring about change. Yeah, um, I think it's um, very similar to, to what Sanjay said. Um, it's not unusual to see, um, you know, black people competing um, and people of colour competing in a variety of sports. But as soon as you go up to the next level of those people, uh, you know, in, employed as coaches or in the boardroom it becomes less and less so so to me I think it's all about profile people need to see somebody that looks like them to aspire to get to a position I think um, what surprised me was the report that was published that was only one black person on a board in any NGBs that were funded by UK Sport. I think that's something that definitely needs to be rectified um, ASAP because the number of um, people of colour competing within the NGB sports and those Olympic sports are, are huge. So yeah, we are seeing progress and we are getting more role models but for real change to happen, you need to make sure you have diversity of four on board because they're the people that will make the big decisions that will impact long term. So, yeah, you'll get the short term of somebody competing when you see the TV switch on. But the, the ones for make big system changes are all done through where the power is held, which is at the, the board level. So, yeah, so I think like most people um, during the pandemic and um, as a black person, when we saw the impact of COVID, that was... Um, to me very telling that yeah we've kind of just done things on the surface but real change for people down on the in the community hasn't really had the impact that people were saying or what we thought and so you know whether it was somebody's racial profile whether it was their their level of access to community stuff or their finance background female disability I think it all became very aware that the people that we probably knew were struggling to access physical activity or sport were the ones that were most impacted so I think it just means that we have to have a a real complete shift in how we approach this because it was obviously very clear during the pandemic that the people who suffered most are probably the people we would have expected pre-pandemic as well. Absolutely um, so as you know at Greater Sport we take a whole system approach to thinking about how we make that population level change for more active lives and we're applying the same when it comes to tackling inequalities and then very specifically thinking about how we help close the gap in terms of number of people who are people of colour who are living active lives um, and how we recognise you know the different layers um, across the whole system um, that need to really make a shift across each of those so you made reference there I know Sanjay referred to some of the kind of cultural barriers that exist um, again that are different for different ethnicities and have been different you know have changed and evolved but for you growing up as a child where the physical activity wasn't wasn't prized and then also some of the then kind of the hard rules or the the policies the opportunities in setting like hard targets for example so that we really make those shifts within the boardroom um, and the things that we could do, can't we, to really set some clear kind of targets to help make those changes happen. And then there's all the other layers. So, you know, the physical environment. Um, Winnie Mead did a really good piece of research, again, looking at, you know, people's access to green spaces, whether they feel safe to go outside and be physically active. All of course were really important during COVID. And we know that you're someone of colour, you're far less likely to be able to access safe green space and to feel that you can go out and go for maybe go for a run or go for a walk um, without potentially being a victim. So are there any specific 
barriers or challenges that you would like to highlight or equally any kind of successes, any, any good examples where you are seeing progress um, against those layers that you want to point to? I, I think, so. well, first of all, I think we have to be really careful that we don't actually put some preconceived ideas about why people don't do activities. I, I always think we need to ask that population, A, what are their barriers? Um, I think sometimes it's easy for us to assume it's lack of interest, lack of access to facilities, especially in the Greater Manchester area where, where I'm actually based. You know, there's there's a local park, there's, and these in all areas. I live in Salford, my family live in Charlton and Wally Range. There is local parks. And um, so I think sometimes it's a little bit easier to say, is it, is it finance? Is it lack of interest? So I always say you, you go to the source and ask those people within those communities, you know, what do they want? What do they need? What do they feel the barriers are? Rather than assuming that we've got the answer. So that, that would be my, my big message is that always go to the source and don't presume. Because um, sometimes I think presumptions leads to putting a scheme on, you get some interest and then that scheme shuts down because it wasn't theirs, they didn't buy into it, so they don't value it. So for people to value and to make real behaviour change, they've got to feel that they're part of the process and that what's been done is what they require. So I think that would be my strong force. But for example, I've seen, um, and my son goes in Alexander Park in Mossside, a community group has just started up doing exercises like circuit training, it happens on a Tuesday and Thursday. My brother goes along, my son goes along, and that's 40 to 50 people are going there every Tuesday and Thursday. It's very informal. Different people take the sessions, but it's just running circuit sessions. And that's something that they did by themselves. Nobody assumed that, you know, so the community started it. They put, a, they put it on, they were interested in it, and it's just grown. And it's, it's very informal. And I suspect there'll be quite a lot of informal things happening that we're not aware of. Um, so I think sometimes we, we do need to take a step back and not presume that it's, you know, sometimes lack of interest or, or access to, to finance. It's sometimes it's just finding what do they need and what do they want. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. with everything Paula said. I think we, we shouldn't make assumptions. There's that old phrase that assume makes an ass out of you and me. And, and there's, there's a truth to that. So actually going and asking people what the barriers are and identifying what those barriers are. I think there are some inferences that we can that we can draw because there there are common correlations that are that we have seen for for many years and the the link between socioeconomic status and you know, frankly if you if you come from a poorer background then you're you know you're less you're less likely to have the good outcomes in life on a number of different dimensions including health dimensions and you're less likely to be active and you're more likely to live in crowded environments and therefore more susceptible to things like covid and and all of those all of those things and so we have to find ways to engage everyone uh, particularly from those uh, those sort of poor communities and underrepresented communities and there's often a correlation between underrepresented or minority communities and and coming from poorer backgrounds i mean in terms of things that have worked well in 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 greater manchester and, and not necessarily specifically for minority communities but one thing that does seem to as i understand it seem to work quite well is the daily mile uh, and i think how we can use that and engage even more 
people in local communities, you know, whether it's um, kids and grandparents going for a walk to the local shops for, you know, just, just once a day and, and, and encouraging that connection in local communities. I think we need to, we need to think how we can, uh, how we can engage those simple opportunities for movement using the local communities, but getting their views on what's, what's the best way to do that. So two great examples there in terms of both the Daily Mile and outdoor gyms and outdoor circuits that, you know, we've really seen as, as creating spaces for more people to be active. And um, yeah, it's great to hear you there, Paul, talk about Alex Park. That's my local park. So that yeah. has been the space that I've been to, you know, almost daily um, during lockdown and in recent months. Um, and it has been, it's, it's been the picture when I have a, you know, a vision of what active lives could look like in Greater Manchester. Alex Park has basically absolutely captured that in one um, in terms of just the diversity of people doing a diversity of activities in a way that works for them has been absolutely phenomenal to see and yeah it's been great to see certainly out the outdoor gyms and just the level of, of participation there um, in the same way that you say this Sanjay you know how we keep it simple design it in um, in a simple way that works for everybody and very much taking that person-centered approach that both of you refer to so I can see why you're both great such great ambassadors for, for greater sport when we absolutely talk about yeah let's not make assumptions let's ask people let's start with what matters to you and make sure that we as you say go go to source and recognize that it's you know we all have different priorities don't we different motivations and the realities of our lives look very different so is there anything else just before we move on anything else in particular um, that you'd want to highlight in terms of you know any one is there any is there any one particular challenge that you currently have in your mind that we think we should be you know focusing on as a system in greater manchester in order to make progress um, or anything else in particular that you want to highlight that we should be building on um, in making progress well, i would probably just say thinking about what we've experienced over the last few months in the lockdown and and covid and you know it's that old thing about the chinese have the same word for crisis and opportunity and it, clearly there's a crisis here but where where were the opportunities and where have the opportunities that we've seen so you know the way manchester and many cities have responded is to is to make the infrastructure more uh, amenable to cycling and movement uh, so how do we make that a more lasting change I think uh, that that that's the I think one of those things that we should uh, we should be thinking about and focusing on. Absolutely. So the the infrastructure and the changes around active travel and more broadly. Anything else, Paula, from you? Yeah, I totally agree, Sandy. I think what I saw in lockdown um, in the early days was I have never seen so many people walking, jogging during their one hour, and I talked to all my neighbours. So that is the big positive, and um, you know. Even going down the steps on a Thursday, clapping for the NHS. Like, literally, I spoke to neighbours um, three doors down that I probably haven't spoken to, and I'm sure a lot of other people were in that same position. So I think with the because we have to stop, and we very rarely stop and actually stop and look and think, um, I think it just gave us that time to say, actually, we can do things differently, and maybe we should do things differently. I mean, I now walk to, to my local chemist, I walk to my local shop, things that I wouldn't have done pre-lockdown because it would take too much time. It's just kind of ridiculous because it took me that long time to, to park, find a space, park, go and do my shopping and get stressed out. So now I literally walk to things within 20 minutes of myself. So I think like Sanjay said, there, there's some big positives and hopefully people can make some minor changes. I mean, I've made the changes sure other people are I know people a lot more people are riding so I think just observationally and anecdotally you can see people 
that appear to be more active than they were in the past. And Asante said, if you can cling on to some of those things, um, you can make some very slow changes because it takes a long time to change behaviours and it's not going to be a quick fix. But if we give um, people the space and the opportunity, I think we'll make some slight changes which can have a major impact long term. So we really have seen walking and cycling go up the agenda, haven't they, both both from the government and, you know, politically, but also in terms of people's day to day. As you say, far more people um, enjoying the joys of, of just having a local walk um, or jumping on a bike. And it has been good to see some of that is sticking. Um, but again, how do we hold on to that? And yeah, recognise you say, Paula, you know, we're not going to change things overnight. <laughs> it's a long haul, um, but continue to design that into, into life for all of us. And of course, the beauty of those is they're not, they don't cost anything, do they? You know, or the very low cost. So thinking again of our, the multiple layers really of, of the system, this whole system approach, and now we talked about infrastructure and obviously big announcements from, from the government from Boris around cycling infrastructure, as well as prescribing cycling and, and all these things. We have to keep applying um, an inequalities lens to each of these, don't we? Thinking who do they work for and who don't they work for and who was designing this, you know, and what they what potential bias are they designing in, be that infrastructure uh, or access um, or opportunity more broadly. So if we then think about picturing what we call our onion diagram, our whole system diagram that we use at Greater Sport, you know, the next layer is really about organisations. Um, so really thinking about those groups and organisations and the role that they have to play um, in supporting more active lives. And how important it is that they are then representative to and connected to, you know, the diversity of people in our communities, and in particular then to people of colour who are now often underrepresented um, in policy making and boardrooms across the board. So, are there any particular organisations who are really on the front line of this that you know you you would be encouraging any of our partners that are listening to to connect with um, as we all sort of learn together and and design the way forward. Oh, that's a tough question. Sanjay, do you want to answer this? If it's really difficult, you can go first. Thank you, Sanjay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Sanjay. <laughs> You're terrible. I was going to say, <laughs> the reality, I don't think anybody does it very yeah. well. Um, I think that's the truth. I think, I think it would have been identified. I think companies that we presume do it very well have been shown actually don't do it that well so I, I think me personally is like actually this is where something where an organization like greater sport is somewhere you know somewhere in the northwest or greater manchester we could take a lead in this do you know so because from the leadership up downwards i've always been taught they set the culture and the vision and the values and so it's got to come from the top so that has got to be they've got to have a vision have a, a culture of of you know inclusive inclusivity and they've got to then live and breathe that. And then that's got to continue on and on and on. It can't flip and change because then you, then you lose people's hearts and minds because they're like, well, you said this and now it's this. So it definitely comes from the self, setting a clear vision, you know, that cultural change, not lip service, not a tick but exercise. If, if they say you're talking about real diversity, we're talking about, you know, getting a real, you know, a mixture of different people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities, sexualities and so forth, ages. Then you've, you've got to actually demonstrate that because unless it's demonstrated and people can look at it and see actually that is what we call a great system, then then I think we'll, we'll probably always struggle. But I don't think anybody does it well. You know, there's nobody I can say actually look at that organisation. They do it so well. 
um, look at this business, look at this sport, because I think, I just don't think anybody um, does it very well at the moment. But that's just my personal opinion. I think the reason why we both find this a difficult question is because because of the reasons that Paul has just set out. Because it's hard to think of an example of an organisation that does this really brilliantly. So in a way, the bad news for greater sport is there isn't like one organisation that does this brilliantly that we can copy. The good news is there's not one organisation that does this brilliantly that we have to copy. You know, we we can we have the opportunity to take a lead and to 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 to, to be more of a leader in our industry. I think there are some examples of some organisations that, for instance, are. Are responding to Black Lives Matter quite well. Uh, I mean, I think m- most organisations have responded with a mixture of anger, confusion, or both, and then rushing for the high-profile, shiny initiative. I think some of the stuff that the FA are talking about doing, and I, I, maybe I would say this because I'm involved in it, but actually setting out well, there's a three-month program that we're going to do. We don't want it being longer than three months because it will get kicked into the long grass. It's three months. We'll announce the targets on the 11th of October for the England-Belgium match, and that will be about setting targets for senior leadership and for coaches across the whole of football because we recognise that this is not representative and getting lots and lots of stakeholders in the working groups to be part of this program and to move really really quickly so i think you know there's there's a a good example of right we must move with speed but not haste but i don't think there are really great examples anywhere around the country of people that are, are, are generally doing a great job around ethnic inclusion either from a leadership perspective or from from a participation perspective where we can say well they're, they're they're doing a particularly fantastic job we've seen some good examples over the last few weeks of initiatives that have taken off uh, but whether they have taken off with ethnic inclusion in mind, I'm not sure. So I don't know, for example, Couch to 5K, which has been really big over the last few weeks. How much of that, how many people like me or Paul are engaged in that? And is there, was there a specific plan to engage people like us in that? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So I don't, that's not a rhetorical question. I just simply don't know. I think that honest conversation feels and I feel like we've had more of those just over the last few weeks so in some some sign of progress I feel like I've been in more rooms where people are honestly going do you know what no one's got it right (laughs) and and I like that phrase you use there Sanjay of move at speed but not haste and I've really taken that from some of the conversations we've had for around this of you know we've seen people rush um, again in response to Black Lives Matter quite recently to wanting to think that there's a quick fix and when you've got you know racism is so systemic it's so embedded isn't it in all our organizations our ways of thinking our ways of working in the you know, design of places that we have to be honest around how long it takes um, to really dismantle that but at the same time not wanting to then see that, that then nothing happens because people feel like it's it's, it's too difficult or they can't see the change so that feels like a really important point about how we we move yeah at, at speed but not haste and be honest and have a long-term plan for how we really make progress on what we need to do you know here and now to act now and, and not talk about it um, and being honest feels hugely important in that um, in all the conversations we have as we move forward so thank you both for that. Um, and certainly in terms of, you know, I know both of you have, have played a really important role, you know, for us in terms of sitting on the Great Sport Board. Um, and very practical examples can be, you know, we're currently recruiting for a new trustee and to be able to come to, you know, yourselves and be able to go, okay, as we review our 
you know, trustee recruitment processes, as we think about who we reach and how we reach and what the language is, you know, what, what we're asking for, all those things. There's so many inherent biases in there, aren't there, that mean that they, you know, some people were not even, they won't see it. And if they see it, they won't think it's for them. But we need to overcome to make sure that, as you say, we've got that vision and those values and that culture of change led from the top and that we're living and breathing it. Um, so thank you. In terms of, you both talked about some specific reflections on experiences during COVID um, in terms of, I guess, some of the you know, opportunities that you referred to that have come out of it and more people spilling outside into outdoor gyms, for example, and, and walking and shifting around um, about cycling and infrastructure. There's been some, I was reading some interesting data actually before this, which was suggesting that looking at young people in particular, and we keep trying to look at, you know, kind of yeah, the inter intersecting barriers so very much thinking okay in terms of looking at our black asian ethnic minority communities and recognizing the multiple you know complexity of ethnicities within that and then going okay what does that mean for age what does that mean for other um, intersecting barriers potentially to activity and for children young people the latest sport england um data was suggesting that for young people of color their levels of physical activity have increased during COVID in comparison to their white counterparts, which was news to me because, again, you know, easily I think some of the headlines and some of the things I've read have suggested, suggested otherwise. So I don't know if that's something that either of you are aware of or you've got any reflections on that or any other reflections more broadly on, you know, what we've learnt during COVID, what we've seen, and then what we want to take from that as we design and build back better for our Black Asian ethnic minority communities in Greater Manchester going forward. So I hadn't I hadn't seen that uh, that data. I mean, it's really interesting, uh, and I'd be I'd be interested to know why. If there are explanations as to why why they think um, young Black and Asian people or young Black people are moving more than than their white counterparts during during lockdown, so it'd be really uh, really interesting to to unpack that a little bit because that sounds like there might be something there that we need to do in a more structured and studied way. So again, it's a little bit about the messages we've been talking about earlier about listening to our, our communities and, and understanding what's actually happening. The, probably the biggest lesson for me during lockdown has been actually how mindful you have to be about movement because if you're all sort of stuck indoors actually that hour outside of exercise can be very often the highlight of the day and i'd just be interested to know again if we've got any data on who or you know who has been moving more whether that has had an impact on different communities in different ways certainly when i wander around i'll see more black and asian faces where i live than i thought i thought lived here or were around <laughs> and so uh it's, it's quite interesting going for a walk in the woods where i live and you know when i'm driving down the streets i didn't see as many people but actually when i'm walking through the woods here where i live i'm seeing far more people so that, that that's that maybe it's because i'm now walking around with my eyes open which i wasn't before i don't know any reflections from you paula yeah, I think it's really, you know, what's really actually with Sanjay said that, um, I actually agreed because I think, I think I just walked around and was kind of focused on my own self. Um, but when you have that hour a day, you kind of look around and you, your phone's not ringing, you're not distracted. And I saw a lot more people of, you know, black and Asian, um, other minorities where I live that I hadn't seen before, just walking around. And um, so I actually think that one hour, it actually gave people a purpose because 
you, you can't stay in house all day. And so your hour became quite precious. So I actually think most people actually took advantage of that hour. I know some of my friends who were not the most active definitely went out for their for their um, one hour a day. And I know some of my close friends did the couch to 5K as well. And I think for, for obviously, for some, uh, and I can't speak for everybody, but for some people of colour, you know, from the, the BAME background, I think the fact that it was highlighted that COVID was, was more the, the rates of infection and the rates of death was higher in our, our groups. It was also probably a bit of a wake-up call as well. To be fair, and, and, I've, and I think Sanjay would also probably understand this, when, it, when it, they started showing the pictures of the people that were dying from the health service and the general population, I said to my husband, who is white, there seems to be a lot of people who are black and minorities dying and he thought I was being a bit sensitive and I was like every time I'd switch on the TV and it went on for about two weeks before somebody else mentioned it and then the government mentioned it and initially there was like no there's no there's no issues and then six weeks later it there was so but if you spoke to any black person or person of color before that they would have said yeah absolutely you just look at what's being put in front of your TV every day and the deaths were so high so I, I think you know the the the, the positive side that it, it probably kind of struck a little bit more and you know we're like actually we do need to think of our health you know there is that high level of diabetes blood pressure so forth in our communities that we do know anyway so part of me thinks that that probably might have motivated more people that weren't moving to get moving and people that were moving to make sure they continued moving that's just me thinking aloud and it could be totally wrong but yeah it, I think people were struck initially that, you know, before it was confirmed that a lot of us were actually succumbing to, to this um, unfortunate disease. Some really interesting thoughts there around, again, our kind of our perceptions and what we see and what we kind of assumptions that we make are often, are often informed, aren't they, by all the, the knowledge that, you know, you had in that scenario where absolutely you were right in terms of um, the disproportionate impact on, on people of colour of COVID. But then how important it is that then we have the data to be able to go so that it can't be dismissed as being just your absolutely, perception. Yeah. That we have the data that goes alongside that kind of qualitative um, information of us asking people what the barriers are for them of seeing it of what we are you know when we walk out of the house who do we see and does that match the data when it feels like and i share your experience when i walk out of my door in wally range i feel like i have seen far more people from um, black asian ethnic minority communities you know and some from very specific communities far more from the Starling community who i know absolutely live on my doorstep that i hadn't seen in the same numbers within the park as i have over recently but then being able to go well is that a reality is that just my experience exactly my day because i'm being mindful and i'm seeing something different you know because <laughs> we have our own bias built in what is has been a real challenge is we don't have the data in Greater Manchester or across the UK, we don't have good enough disaggregated data that really tells us what the picture is when it comes to particularly our Black, Asian and ethnic minority communities and the different ethnicities within that. And that does feel like what's been revealed as a very gaping hole that I think, you know, the three of us would have already been able to point to, but that it really needs addressing so that we can make sure that we, we use that as evidence-led in terms of, of what we do and that we can unpack it when we have the data, like say, Sunday there, when, you know, I, that was surprising for me to suggest that it's been a, a greater increase of, um, of sort of activity um, in that instance of young people of colour and to then go, well, what, what is that about? And what can we learn from that and you know what can we take forward and that sense of the mindfulness um i think it's really interesting it made me reflect certainly on going out over lockdown i would say i was around low i was local a lot of the time 
probably not as much as I have been and how many of us have have just spent more time in our local neighborhoods um, and how important would that be in terms of our understanding of our local communities and connection with local communities uh, you know I've certainly been out at different times of the day than I probably would have been previously when I would have been at work and out during the day so I see different people at different points so there's lots isn't there, there to learn around our connection to people and place as well so lots lots to talk about reflect and um, that we can take forward so just on a, a final note really then with any particular ways that you've adapted or had to adapt um in terms of the way you move and the way that you you know your work to support others to keep moving particularly people of color during during covid and anything in particular that you want to hold on to in this new norm and um, i think what i i'm going to definitely hold on to is that a i'm still walking which is good using the car less because all the gyms were short i actually got a little gym outside in our garden we were fortunate that we have got a garden so we've got like a little circuit set up so i'm going to continue doing that i will go back to the gym but i'm not in a mad rush because i'm actually in a nice routine in in terms of the general community and um, i think information is knowledge so i think um, we came out about the obesity rates and you know the supermarkets and food and so forth but I think give people the information and then give them the tools to to come up with the um a program that suits them whether it's walking whether it's swimming whether it's going to the local park and doing outdoor gyms you know I think information is power so I would always say give them the true information and and give them then the support to put any plans they want to do into action and generally it's going to be local and generally it's going to be low cost I can I, I always presume so yeah I think um, myself and I I'm just embraced lockdown and we're coming out of it and I'm just going to try and hold on to all the positive things that we did during lockdown and keep them going sounds good to me I see my views are quite similar in some ways I mean in terms of how I move and how has lockdown changed me actually it goes back to that mindfulness which is what did I think I liked what I thought I liked was going to I'm going to the gym um, my wife's a Pilates instructor we have a gym upstairs and but I like to go to a personal trainer because I like being pushed because I'll if I'm left to my own devices I'll be lazy and I'll work within my within myself what I didn't realize was how much I valued in between all my meetings and being in town and traveling and stuff was actually all the walking that I do in between meetings and time to just decompress between meetings and to chat over coffee or just you know do something else in my day and the changes of scenery uh, and actually uh, it's replacing everything with a zoom call and then doing it all back to back any of that decompression time and you can so easily slip into having eight hours of zoom calls and not being physically active and then i look at my step tracker and i realize my activity is way 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 down not just a little bit down but way down on where it would normally be and so i've had to do some personal being mindful about changing things so i'll only have a morning of zoom or afternoon of zoom i won't have both and i'll do something else with my time for the other half of my day because actually in the real world i would only have had three or four hours of meetings and other stuff in between i wouldn't have been doing eight hours of meetings that's just exhausting so i think being a bit more mindful about how i structure my day because i've got lots of time 
lots more time than I used to have. I don't want to waste it. And, and actually, eight hours of meetings is a waste of a day because I'm not getting the balance in my day. In terms of, you know, more, more generally, what lessons do we, do we take for society as well? I suppose, hopefully, for society as well, we could be that little bit more mindful. I, I, I don't know what we've been like for other people, but when I sit in the garden, I notice things now, which I probably wouldn't have. Uh, because I was mindful of things and, and how can we use things like the technology to get to people individually so we see the success of things like couch to 5k and we're probably in this COVID world for the next 12 months or so so it's never going to be not for the foreseeable are we going to go back to anything that was a pre-COVID normal so how do we reach individuals using the technology and I think how we embrace that technology to get to people and to understand how they're moving and to deliver things that they want in a challenging way. So I think things like Couch to 5K and creating those little challenges that everyone can do are, are probably a really big way forward for the whole industry. I imagine there's lots in there that listeners, as resonated with listeners, I've certainly spoken to, you know, lots of people, myself included, uh, Sanjay, who would, uh, are trying to look at how to better design and structure our day so we don't spend, you know, up to 12 hours on Zoom um, and design moving in into that day. Definitely for that decompressing. You know, it was always my, I'd get on my bike in between meetings and turning of the wheels enabled the kind of cogs in my head really to turn. Um, and I definitely missed that space. Um, so some great enablers there as well around, around thinking about tech. Um, which I've absolutely seen as an enabler have been recent weeks and enabling you know people to move within their homes or in a space that you know they they're safe to be in um, and also thinking then around social networks um, so how important it is that the people that we're with creating those norms for example like saying it's okay to say no to another zoom meeting it's good to say I'm limiting the number of zoom meetings I have to you know three hours a day because my mental health my physical health is important and I need to also move um, and how easily we could slip into a culture potentially where we have this opportunity to be traveling less um, but actually we end up using that by sitting for the screen more so, so it feels like some very conscious intentional design that we need to do now um, in that new norm um, and how we all kind of encourage each other to do that thank you it's been a real pleasure and um yeah really grateful for both of your your time and contributions there so uh, i hope there's lots there for people listening in so take care thank you thank you I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're interested in reading some of the data we spoke about during the podcast, head to the research and insight section of the Greater Sport website at greatersport.co.uk. We're really keen to collaborate with other organisations and partners to jointly promote anti-racism work in sports and physical activity, to magnify good practice, amplify underrepresented voices and take systemic action to dismantle structural inequalities to help improve the lives of our communities. If you're interested in working with us on our journey as an organisation and in building an inclusive movement for movement, please get in touch. You can email me at eve at gmoving.co.uk. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, goodbye, take care and keep moving. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not share it or tell a friend about it? And if you've got feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch with our team at Greater Sports using the links that you'll find on our podcast page.